Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. Our mission is to live the way of Jesus so we can leave the world better than we found it. If you'd like more information about our church, you can click on the link in the show notes or head to Christ-community.com. All right, let's get started. And that is all that I've got. And so we're going to continue in our second week of Advent with the reading of God's Word. It's going to be Luke chapter 2, verses 40 through 48. It says, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed and understood amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Natalie. Um, If you think about updates that are uh, going on in the life of our church, um, trust me that I am dying to tell you uh, the moment we know something <laughs> about where we will worship uh, beyond December. So, uh, again, the, uh, the owners of this building had offered uh, the possibility to go month to month. Uh, so, honestly, it looks like we would be here uh, even a little beyond December. So, that's a, that's a great development. Uh, it's great just to be here, isn't it? Like, this is, is really sweet, uh, especially, you know, that one week of everything falling through at the same time. Uh, was was a little crazy for me. I don't know how you experienced it, but uh, and so uh, we had a great time last Wednesday night, just celebrating that in here. Uh, so if you made it, wonderful. If you couldn't make it, no worries at all. It was just a time to say God thanks, you know. And so I'd encourage us to kind of just kind of stay in that posture of man. The Lord provided, and the Lord has provided for this community again and again and again, hasn't He? Uh, 30 years plus uh, without a permanent space and yet here we are Uh, and here we are in a way that I think is vibrant right strong in many ways Uh, Christ community has been through some stuff uh, but as has been uh, said again and again this is a resilient bunch Uh, and so we're not just hanging out by a thread the Lord has provided and so we focused in on that a bit on Wednesday night, and uh, I don't know how dorky this is or not, but, you know, we, it's a, it was an Ebenezer night, right? Ebenezer, a stone of help uh, in the Bible. Uh, they would stack stones or erect a little stone monument or whatever that, to say this is God has been our stone of help to remember uh, through years, through centuries, the Lord has provided for us. He'll do it again. Uh, and so instead of uh, piling up a bunch of stones here, I really did think about it. Uh, we left with a stone in our hands. So say, hey, take this, put it somewhere that will remind you the Lord has provided. He will again. We don't know what it'll look like exactly, but he will again. Um, and I mean, honestly, even the next day, uh, the Lord did some really cool things uh, that regardless of how it works out, I'll tell you about eventually. God just continues to show up and say, 
uh, you're mine, I love you, I'm thinking about you, I'm taking care of you, whether personally or for us as a congregation. So, uh, we still got them, right? And I, I would love for you to walk out of here with this little stone. I'll probably try to get to the back to hand them out to you as we go. They're also in little bags if I happen to forget. I'm very forgetful, it's entirely possible, uh, right? But take one, put it somewhere on your desk or wherever you'll see it, just to remember uh, God has provided. He will provide again. If you wanna take a Sharpie and put your favorite Bible verse or something on there, do that. Uh, and let it remind you as well to continue praying uh, that he would bring us into uh, a more permanent space. So, oh man. So we're gonna talk about God's word a little bit as well and how he meets us in his word as we're waiting. As we are waiting upon him. So we looked at this uh, passage Natalie read for us uh, from Luke. I'm going to start out, though, telling you about uh, some very important writing. It's not quite on the level of the scriptures, but I once had a blog. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so it was, about, it was about 20 years ago or so. It was, uh, it was a MySpace blog. Uh, it's not that funny. Come on. Uh, it was a MySpace blog. Thus, it has been pretty much scrubbed from the Internet. Don't think about trying to go find it. But uh, I was going through some stuff 20 years ago. And uh, y'all would know that uh, I was trying to be a musician in those days. And uh, so the way that I typically process things was was songwriting, uh, but even that felt cloudy to me. And so I, I, we'd gotten on this stupid site that had just started, right, MySpace, and it had a, a blog function. And so I just started kind of typing things. And lo and behold, like, there, were, there was a point where there were like thousands of people reading this. Uh, and um, so I had to stop doing it because at some point it hit me like, I'm not in a good spot, and so I should not be leading anyone at this point. Uh, and so I had to shut the thing down and just like go silent. But um, uh, one, one blog that I wrote back then that seemed to, to resonate with some folks and stuck with me to the point that I actually did write a song about it then later was just my feeling um, that I'm like even recognizing now, like, oh, I kind of live out of that, don't I? Uh, it feels like life is flying past me. Um, I don't know if that is just something sort of unique uh, to my idiosyncrasies or what. I'm only 40, I'll be 45 in a few days. I, I'm, I'm only 45. 44 started coming out of my lips there. But so that's not that old, right? But uh, nonetheless, uh, a lot of life just feels like it is flying past me. Uh, and I think about it a lot. I get to the end of almost every day and sort of feel like, what happened? Where did that go? Even in the pandemic, even having three kids in a house together uh, almost every day to me felt a little bit like, oh, no, I can't hold on to it. What's happening? Um, and so I, I, um, I, don't, I don't know if I obsess over it exactly, but we do have a picture of, I saw, I heard someone did this, uh, and there's a, this is a map of my family's life. It's tiny specifically so that you can't see what I've written down, <laughs> right? uh, But sort of like when kids would start to drive and graduate high school and sort of the big things that are happening in my life because uh, I know the feeling is not going to change but I, I want to try to be present in it uh, and try to think for it ahead of time, make the most of it, uh, et cetera. 
Uh, and I'm telling you all this because uh, it's sort of a little bit to set up of like, why would a 45-year-old person care about the things he's about to say? Um, this is why uh, a couple years ago, I ran across an article in The Atlantic uh, that I've got a screenshot of as well. I don't know if you can see that title, but it says, your professional decline is coming, parentheses, much sooner than you think. <laughs> uh, and I was fascinated and wanted to dive into that immediately. Um, and I mentioned last week, there's a new book I'm reading. It's by the same guy. Uh, it's called From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life. And I heard about uh, him writing this on a, a podcast, I think it was with uh, Kurt Thompson, um, and thought, oh, I've got to get this. That's the guy who wrote that article. I gotta get this book and dig into it. And he talks a bit about folks who begin to sense their own decline professionally. People around them can't even tell, but they begin to see themselves, I'm not quite as quick as I used to be in the analysis. Side, right? He talks about there's sort of a difference over time between when you're young and you're good at your job, uh, you have a, a, what he calls like a liquid intelligence, right? You see something, you analyze it, you're quick, you're sharp. Uh, and when you begin to transition out of that, it's scary, especially if you've begun to feel some identity with your job, uh, what, what you do well, who would do that. Uh, right? uh, it's, it's really scary, and a lot of people don't know what to do with that. So he talks about there's a, there's a difference between a, uh, a liquid intelligence and a crystallized intelligence, which is more uh, the wisdom that you gain over time that still has a lot of value, uh, even though your brain doesn't function quite the same way that it used to. But it's, uh, it's just this massively frustrating sort of thing. Uh, and so uh, thinking about this a little bit, uh, this, this shift, right, that we're all going to encounter, some of us may feel like we're uh, encountering already. Uh, it, this is the context of our, of our lives so much, particularly in our culture, isn't it? the context of our, our lives, how well we're doing in our work. Maybe it's something you get paid for. Maybe it's something you just kind of dive into on the side. Uh, and, and as that feels like it's slipping away sometimes, uh, the Lord steps in. The Lord steps in. Uh, and so we're in our Advent series uh, in these spaces where we sometimes feel like things are slipping away, things are not as they should be, and uh, we're thinking about uh, how God has uh, arrived. Advent just means an arrival. And so uh, for the next few weeks, we're thinking about Advent. We're thinking about the good news of the arrival of Jesus and our, our longing for it in the midst of our stress, in the midst of feeling like, oh, where's my life going, perhaps? Uh, talking about it in terms of a generous paradoxy. Right? Paradox just means uh, a seeming <coughs> contradiction. And we've got that, uh, that visual of the M.C. Escher lithograph of a hand drawing a hand, drawing a hand, drawing a hand. It's impossible. It's a paradox. We're thinking more in terms of uh, maybe logical uh, paradox, right? That, uh, that God came to us that God became man, human, 
a baby. And in Christmas, the ultimate uh, paradox is here, right? He's he's not just incarnated as uh, a person, as a human being, but he's also still fully God. My mind's not going to wrap around that, but nonetheless, the scriptures uh, teach us uh, to gaze upon it, to look at it, uh, to remember it, and to remember also that it's also the ultimate generosity. It's the ultimate paradox. It is the ultimate in generosity that God is giving himself to us in Jesus. So we're going to examine this in various ways. Last week we talked about the, the, the Almighty One became helpless for us. The Almighty became helpless. And this week we're talking about uh, the, the one who is the truth in and of himself. And what we see in that passage, the truth learned. <laughs> That's a paradox. The truth who learned. And so we're here in the book of Luke. Right? The, uh, the Luke is a, a traveler along with the apostle Paul, someone who's helping him uh, in ministry as he goes along. Acts tells us a bit about uh, the apostle Paul's journeys, etc. Right? And we're told that he's a physician in Colossians 4 as well. So Luke is one uh, who's meticulous, who says in uh, his own telling of the gospel that, that he gathered story, he did an investigation, gathers the stories to give an orderly account and he gives a whole lot of detail. I believe this is the only gospel with this story in it. And so uh, we're just seeing a, a really interesting glimpse into the childhood of Jesus. <laughs> this, this season that uh, we're told is the, the silent period of Jesus's life. We only got a, a little bit of it, right? mystery of who he was. And this passage in particular, I don't know if you've thought about this one much, but this is paradoxical. This is mysterious. We see a few things here in this passage. One is that Jesus is so full of God's wisdom that it's astonishing even to his parents. Right? Do you see that? He grew. He grew up. He grew and was filled with wisdom. Right? And so there's, there's the implication, right, that wisdom was filled up in him. Right? Uh, they're amazed at his understanding. They're amazed at his answers, astonished by him. Uh, we're astonished by our kids sometimes. Rarely because of the wisdom. Yeah, I mean, here and there, they'll get a nugget going, right? It's amazing. Kids do have some unique wisdom, for sure. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but the level of wisdom that Jesus is interacting here with uh, right, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, I assume, the priesthood, he's talking with them about God's word, and everybody's jaws are dropping. Do you, I just always wonder about, like, as Jesus grew older, <laughs> Where people like, that's him good. You remember? His parents left him. We've, nobody could figure out what he was talking about. Something tells me that would speak to us a little bit of like, maybe we should follow him. Maybe he's got something new, right? But Jesus is so filled with God's wisdom that he's amazing, uh, astonishing, not only his parents, but also like the experts of the day in the law and God's word. Imagine this. You get the best theologians in the world all in one room to, you know, debate the intricacies of God's law and theology. 
Anybody want to be in that room? I, mean, I do a little bit, but it's different. <laughs> Mostly to listen. Cower, perhaps. <laughs> uh, and this little 12-year-old boy, so full of God's wisdom, not only is he confident to interact with them, uh, but he's amazing in his understanding of them. Second thing, uh, Jesus is filled with God's wisdom because he pursued it. Because he pursued God's wisdom, because he pursued the truth. Right? Again, he, he grew, he became strong, thus filled with wisdom. Uh, it says not only is he interacting and speaking, but he's also there in that moment listening, asking questions. But hold on, the God of the universe asking questions? What? What are we talking about here? Right? His parents are astonished again, right? Uh, this, I think this may be the hardest thing to imagine about the incarnation. kind of mentioned this last week, but uh, Jesus had to be fed, learned to walk, learned to feed himself, learned to talk, learned the intricacies of language. He, he learned math, I assume. I, I mean, that's a God who loves you. He came and learned math for you. Uh, he learned the scriptures. So Jesus, in his humanity, learned the scriptures, gained more wisdom. That's what the scriptures tell us about the one who is the source of the scriptures. And then Jesus was filled with God's wisdom to give us God's wisdom. So he's so full of God's wisdom, that is amazing. He's full of God's wisdom because over the course of his 12 years there, and of course over the course of his entire life, he pursued the truth and wisdom of God. Right, Philippians 2, uh, 7 talks about uh, Jesus emptying himself and taking the form of a servant. Right? This does not mean that, that uh, the, the human nature of Jesus is just a little meat puppet with divine poured in. No, 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 no. That's not what the scripture says. Fully man, fully God, somehow in this thing we call the hypostatic union together, right? In one person. And yet also uh, he, he uh, empties himself on someone. He takes the form of a servant. Uh, he incarnates as one uh, who does not have somehow or another full access to the omniscience of his divine nature. I don't know how that works. There are people with theories. There are two major theories. They're both weird. I don't know, right? It's again, one of those things that's like, we're not going to comprehend everything there is to know about God, but we are going to lean into knowing him and knowing more and more about him for all eternity. And that's more beautiful. But so Jesus is then filled with God's wisdom. Why? To give us himself, to give us God's wisdom. Isn't that great? Uh, and so he's sitting among the teachers, listening to them. He's asking them questions. He's in his father's house. What a, what a cool little turn of phrase there. Your mother and your father, right? We've been looking for you. Oh, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? That's where I would be. If you can't find me, find me there. Not just buried in the scrolls. Even then, Jesus is pursuing God's wisdom. Even then, Jesus is pursuing God's truth. And he's doing it uh, in a way that gives God to us, relationally. 
I mean, he could have just found a corner probably to go read. <laughs> uh, I don't know if he was carrying a scroll there in his tunic, but uh, right? I mean, there are different ways to go about uh, gaining wisdom, understanding truth, etc. Even in the way that he's pursuing it, uh, he is doing so relationally. He's giving himself to us. Think about that. Imagine losing all of the knowledge that you have worked your entire life to accumulate. All of it, gone. Think about that. Would that be traumatic? I think it would be. Uh, I, I have a friend uh, who had a, a brain tumor and just some, some very difficult life circumstances uh, that caused him to lose so much, particularly his short-term memory, uh, but, but quite a bit of uh, the knowledge that he had accumulated on some level. Um, and it, this was a really, he still is a very sharp guy, uh, but very sharp guy, I believe when we met, we, had, we just met sort of right before some of this stuff started happening uh, in his life. I believe he was doing like web design and a grad degree at Georgia Tech. Uh, he's been a college athlete, sharp guy. Uh, and then he went through and is still experiencing uh, some of the uh, uh, consequences from this uh, brain tumor that took a lot from him. Uh, and so, for example, um, I'm going to show you a video of him in just a second because his story is a little bit well known. Um, he, when he woke up from the surgery, he saw his wife and said, what are you doing here? She said, we're married. He goes, yes. <laughs> and then, but he did it again and again and again also. And so, as I said, we had just met not long before it happened. And so I can't tell you how many times I, I reintroduced myself uh, to him. Uh, and so he's going to talk, he'll talk a little bit about what that experience was like. I just want you to hear from him. Did you get frustrated in your faith? Did you say, God, where are you? Never, never won't really. <laughs> Willingly, right? 
Uh, Jesus uh, experienced this, and is our, our theological category for it is, is Jesus' humiliation. In incarnating right, as a human being, uh, he willingly emptied himself, took the form of a servant. What to us would be absolutely traumatic, Jesus steps into willingly for us, to love us, to give himself to us. And so we're in this season of Advent. We're leading up to Christmas, right? Again, Advent just means arrival. And so as opposed to just stepping into like, hey, right after Thanksgiving, let's do five weeks of Christmas, super, super happy. I know, I'm kind of with you there. But what we want to do is spend a few weeks of cultivating, again, our longing for the arrival. Remembering the longing of God's people for that first Arrival, and then lean into our real longing for his second arrival as well, prior to that full celebration of Christmas. Now, lean into the longing is like, oh, that's pithy. <laughs> what does that mean for Monday morning? <laughs> uh, and uh, pithy without anything for Monday morning, it doesn't mean a whole lot, does it? Uh, here's what I would suggest. We, we talked about uh, some Advent pairings last week, right? Uh, you've got to get a good glass of wine to go along with your ribeye or uh, dessert or something, right? And so here's some pairings for you uh, with the uh, main dish of Advent for the next few weeks. Lament and awe, right? Lament and awe. We're going to have that as kind of a theme over the next few weeks. So lament. Over these next few weeks uh, leading up to the celebration of Christmas, lament. Lament that God's truth, that God's wisdom is mocked. Lament it, right? It's so mocked that we crucified him, actually. Uh, and we still uh, experience it today, right? And, and talked about in our last series as well, when God's truth and wisdom are mocked, injustice, oppression, abuse result from that. So it's not just this private little, like, I don't really do that. Like, it, it, it pours out of us somehow, societally, together. And so let's lament that. Lament the post-truth culture. Do. Lament it. Uh, it, it the lament its destruction of individual lives, of families, of the, the fabric of our society sometimes, right? It, it feels like uh, we're in Alice in Wonderland a little bit these days. Like, up is down. Uh, left is right. Things sometimes feel like they are devolving into absolute fantasy. You can just, things can be just whatever you assign them with a word. That is what that means, right? Uh, and then some seemingly using the post-truth culture to score cultural and political points where it's like, oh, but if you're on the wrong side, then I can just say that everything you speak is absolute lies. Cool. Grieve this in your prayers this week. <clears throat> Grieve the ways that it's affecting us individually and even uh, communally as well. So that's lament. Awe as well. Uh, again, Kurt Thompson gets another shout out here, right? Get into the path of oncoming beauty. It's like a freight train coming through life. Get in its path. Good things are going to happen, right? Beauty and awe we talked about last week have a way of rewiring us. So marvel at God's beauty in this season. Right? Enjoy it. Lament, grieve, and enjoy God's beauty. Enjoy the physical beauty of this season. 
uh, which ultimately finds its way back to God, even if it's uh, little uh, lights that somebody put together in a factory. Right? Uh, it's beautiful. Beauty is from God. Enjoy it. Right? Enjoy the, the crackling fire, the beauty of it. Uh, maybe get out to the mountains or something. Enjoy the physical beauty. Enjoy uh, the relational beauty if it's there for you. Uh, you know, we prayed about those who are vulnerable, and this may be a season where uh, relational tension uh, is more brought up for them or for you personally. That's real. Um, but if, if it is a season where relationships feel like, oh, the beauty of them is present, pause, take note, right? Family getting together, just friends doing fun stuff uh, together in this season. Enjoy that. Get in the path of it. The beauty of song. We're singing uh, great old songs together here at church. Uh, maybe you'll do a little, uh, little bit of caroling, I don't know. In our neighborhood, we always had a group that would carol together. And we'd sing great old historic stuff and just goofy stuff as well. But nonetheless, there was this kind of coming together of the relational beauty and uh, the physical, right, the sensible. It was awesome. So celebrate it. Celebrate it. Pause in it. But also, don't let it stop there. Uh, celebrate in your awe that God has made his wisdom known. God has made his wisdom known to us, even as it appears foolish. 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 20, says, Where is the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. This is Jewish people demand signs and the Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I mentioned this song last week and then it hit me like, oh, it actually ties in better to next week. It's uh, Michael Card wrote this one back in 1985 and frankly, it helped disciple me as a little kid. Uh, it's such a great song, God's Own Fool. He says, it seems I've imagined him all my life as the wisest of all mankind. But if God's holy wisdom is foolish to men, he must have seemed out of his mind. And he talks about how uh, even his own family thought he was crazy. The Pharisees said, maybe he's demonic. And he says, he played the fool and opened our eyes. And one day, our eyes are going to be open fully fully. And he's going to make his wisdom and his truth known fully in the consummation of the new heavens and the new earth one day. And so uh, I, I think of that book from the beginning, Strength to Strength. It's written by a guy named Arthur Brooks. He's a social scientist and a Harvard professor. And he talks about early on in the book, uh, how he interviewed a woman who was tremendously successful on Wall Street. 
uh, and it, she's beginning to notice this shift right. from the sort of the liquid uh, intelligence, crystallized intelligence later in her career. Uh, and you know, work had gotten her success, and success was her drug. And so she had uh, workaholism, where she had sacrificed her health, uh, her marriage, her relationship with her kids, and her happiness as well in the process. And so as she noticed herself slipping, she only worked more then. And he says this, you'd think the solution to her unhappiness would be obvious. And indeed, I asked her why she didn't remediate the sources of her unhappiness to take time to resuscitate her marriage and spend more time with her kids, get some help with her drinking, sleep more, get in better shape. She thought about my question for a couple of minutes. Finally, she looked at me and said, matter-of-factly, Maybe I would prefer to be special rather than happy. And he talks about how shocking that was for him in the moment. The more he talked about it, the more he thought about it, the more some uh, insights started coming. And he says, he talks about objectifying yourself. That she was objectifying herself uh, in order to keep feeding, right, the receptors in our brains for the dopamine that we crave. Uh, and that work and success can give. And it isn't just her, is it? Far from it. We're all exposed by that. And again, you know, maybe work is not your drug, exactly. Uh, and I, I will confess, people in ministry can be the absolute worst at this sometimes. Uh, and so this exposes, I think, me as well. Uh, we lean into, uh, particularly as we're younger, we lean into our, our wisdoms, our intelligences, uh, even as we get older. And if we, if we are able to notice the shift and, and come over to uh, being more of the sage, right? Uh, there's, there's less fame involved with that. There's, there's less gratification perhaps involved with that. But nonetheless, we lean into these things to make us special, worthwhile. But God's wisdom was to empty himself of all but love, as Charles Wesley says, to bring the fullness of uh, God's truth and wisdom to bear for us in our lives, right? The specialness, the preciousness of, of each one uh, found in Christ Jesus is not the processing power of our brain or the skill we have in our field or our liquid intelligence or wisdom, is it? Uh, the happiness that we long for uh, is not in whatever fires up our dopamine receptors, substances, or successes. The wisdom that we could never earn our way to him is where we find it. It's in the one who loved us enough to humble himself and learn in order to bring us himself and his wisdom. We choose the foolish, foolishness of idolatries uh, and feeding ourselves what feels like life instead of honoring the giver who is the gift of life himself, the king. There's cosmic treason, and yet he advented, arrived. He came not only as a baby, but he grew and became strong, as our scripture this morning tells us. And then uh, he emptied himself of life itself on the cross to pay our penalty, to love us.
to bring us back to him and to bring us to live not just in temporal happiness, but in the eternal joy of the fullness of his wisdom and the knowledge of him. Let me pray. Lord, we take a lot of pride in our wisdom. Uh, We take a lot of pride in the knowledge uh, that we've taken uh, time and significant uh, effort to accumulate. Or maybe that just feels like a a gift. We were just born with a supercomputer uh, in our heads, perhaps, and it made us feel special. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we think about that, uh, you would even expose to us if our particular idolatry doesn't feel quite as wrapped around work or our competencies, uh, that you would nonetheless meet us and expose those to us, uh, that we might remember again the beautiful good news, the beautiful reality of you, Lord Jesus. And you came for us. You came to give us yourself. And one day, you'll renew it all. You'll consummate it all in the beauty of your truth and your wisdom. So we just pray to be uh, those who imperfectly yet truly follow you here and now. Who lean into your wisdom as opposed to our own. Who trust in you. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.